You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Hey, Mitch! Okay, another episode of Hey Mitch here, and this week we have another Get to Know Your Geekly member. So today I have John Camarena. Hey, that's me. He started the Geeks Watch with me, and we've done close to 140 episodes, I want to say. I think it's a little over now. A little bit over 140 episodes of that show. Um, Before we started doing that show, I had you on this show, I believe, to talk about... uh, sci-fi shows sci-fi movies and stuff like that horror movies yeah force awakens i think had just come out is that what it was and we just like hey i need to go on there and talk about this <laughs> and uh yeah the seed was planted for what be, would become the geeks watch that's and right here we are because i think uh at the time you were the only other person i knew that was really watching uh game of thrones plus you knew the books yes so uh, it, that was a good help at that point i think we were into season four we're already into season four at that time, yeah. And uh, after season one, I started reading the books, and I was like, "Oh man, these are even better than the show." And I couldn't recommend it enough to everybody that would listen. So we did season four, season five, season six, and se- season seven and season eight. I believe so. Yes, uh, we started. I think when we actually started the Geeks Watch, it was right after season four. So I think we started season five. Oh, it was after season? I thought we started with season four. Uh, no, I think that's what was on at the time. Ah, uh, but uh, yeah, because we totally didn't talk about things like the Red Wedding or anything like that. Well, that was season three. Yeah, so we skipped through all of that. I skipped. We we got past. We we started after the greatest part of the show. Basically, yeah. <laughs> in, in the downhill, as they say. <laughs> Um, but since then, we've we've done so much more. We've done the we've done Westworld. We've done Stranger Things. We've done Black Mirror, Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> uh, the worst part so far would have been um, uh, the Android or not Android Philip K. Dick one. Oh yeah, the uh, Electric Dreams. Electric Dreams. So that was the least satisfying of our watches. Definitely. Yeah, the the most fun for me has been the old marvel the old marvel shows or movies yeah those. see we did doctor strange spider-man captain america did we never got to nick fury we got we did do uh generation x yes. which god that was awful was, and, and i'm so glad that i didn't know that there was a british version in which they dropped the F-bomb. And that's, oh, wow. that's the version I watched. Oh, so you got to hear an yeah. F-bomb in there. Yeah, so I was like, what? I don't remember that from TV. I was like, oh, the, this is like the PAL version. Oh, we also did the Fantastic Four movie, which actually wasn't that bad. No, it was really interesting. And I think as a companion, we also saw the documentary. For we it, did watch the documentary for it. Which was just as entertaining, if not more, because there was a lot of interesting stuff behind the scenes on that. <laughs> so then if we started in season five, this is after the end of season eight so then we're close to to four years just about just yeah. about four we years in about 2016 or 2019 now it's 2019 almost 2020 yeah how do you feel about podcasting at this point um 
I think it's uh, definitely a saturated market. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it really is. I mean, <laughs> Apple had to open up its own thing just for podcasting, yes. like par- as I, a part of iTunes, or I guess it's the, they got rid of iTunes. It's Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, Apple TV. Yes. It's, well, yeah, streaming's going to be a thing or for Apple, them soon. Yeah, they got their Apple Plus coming out. Apple, all that other Apple stuff, yeah. But that being mm-hmm. said, um, I think you've mentioned several times that my speaking ability has improved tremendously. Tremendously. <laughs> from the first few appearances. Yeah, I mean, I you, you, you actually talk, so that's a good thing. I do. Well, a <laughs> uh, little secret to that, I discovered alcohol during that time, <laughs> and I found that that really helps loosen up the lips. I mean, we've also went through uh, you being here in town, and then you not being in town, and, and living in Denver or Phoenix or wherever you needed to remotely record yeah. from. Uh, I don't know if our audience knew that you were recording remotely or not, but... I don't think so. We yeah. were. I was, I was just kind of here and there for a little bit, and then I came back, and... We had, uh, I think, one of our most epic ones is the Battle of the Bastards episode. We split into three episodes because that battle took forever to talk about. Yeah, that was, uh, it, which is funny because it's one of those episodes that only had one real set piece. It really, it really did. And it was just so complex. But it was, yeah, there was so much going on that we just needed to keep talking about it. It went for three episodes. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, uh, but other than that, you know, what is it? What is it? How's your geek taste changed since then? Um, well, I've learned to let a lot of things go as far as um, holding on to certain franchises like Star Wars with this uh, almost religious fanaticism. Um, I know that, for instance, one of the things that we come into constant, uh, I would say, debate is whether certain movies could be considered good movies if they don't treat the source material correctly. And I want to say that to some degree, I can understand the argument, but at the same time, it's still just a movie. If I don't like it, I can move on with my life. I don't need to hate on it and diss it and tweet about it and just waste all this mental energy on it. It's like, okay, I can move on from that But if it, And if it's part of a franchise, you can go back to the part that you like and rewatch exactly. that. Or the good stuff is still there. The good stuff is still there. Except for when Lucas tried to, you know, like remake them and add new special effects and destroy the originals, in which case the originals aren't there anymore. That's, but, that is also true. But again, I just kind of learned to be zen about it and I was like, well, you know, it's well, still happening. You know, I would appreciate it if you did tweet about it more often. Even if you, if it's something you didn't like, at least put out that one tweet and then let it go. <laughs> just let it out into the ether. Yep. As, just as a way just of scream into releasing. the void and then just allow it to, ha- allow it to be there or get, or get it out of you. That is my pre-New Year's resolution is to, to start <laughs> tweeting more. I, I neglect it greatly. <laughs> but I feel like when I do tweet, it's because it's worth it. There, I don't also want to let so my tweets just get lost. It has to be something special? Yeah. It has to be something that to, get, to give the John the magic bollocks uh, stamp, of, stamp approval. of approval. Yeah, yeah the those, brand. Those, those nuggets, you know, they have to be <laughs> meaty, substantial. So let's just talk about this year then. What have you watched this year that you, you thought was really great? I really liked the uh, Shazam movie. Okay. I thought that was really good. Um, I think we saw that Oscar movie together, The Green Book. We did watch that together. Which I had no real expectations for other than, like, this is directed by the guy from uh, Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it surprisingly was really entertaining. I found out later, after reading some additional supplemental stuff, that the family of the... uh, supporting composer 
uh, yeah, that they were not happy with his depiction in the movie. Mm-mm, not at all. But nevertheless, uh, to the point where uh, Mahershala, Mahershala Ali, yeah. uh, actually apologized to them, <laughs> saying, I'm sorry that this didn't meet your expectations. And I was like, wow. I'm, but it won awards. It did. He won He won Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor? I, I think it was Best Supporting best, Actor. Best Supporting Actor for it. And didn't it, it get Best Movie? It won Best Picture. Yeah. So, I mean, it won awards. That was part of the controversy this year that uh, it's the whole uh, white savior kind of scenario happening in there. I I mean, I just like the movie. I thought it was good. Um, but maybe I'm part of the problem. So Could be. it definitely felt like in this day and age, in this like post twelve years of slave, it definitely was very light handed with the whole racism aspect. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, they touched on it, but probably not as much as like it actually was. They probably turned it down to like a six. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of things I hated. Okay. Absolutely. And this, you, is this I where you want to air it out? I guess, like, yeah, um, since I didn't get to tweet about these, like, what the hell was Dumbo all about? Dumbo. That was horrible. Dumbo was, was Tim Burton making fun of Walt Disney I mean, the Disney Corporation. It was, but did it have to be with Dumbo? I mean, it, I, I get that he basically wasted their money to make a horrible movie that was also <laughs> an indictment about the whole Disney machine. But you could have just done something else and not, like, you know, just crap on Dumbo. I like Dumbo. Dumbo was a cute movie. <laughs> and this was just like, what the hell am I watching? Like, I mean, I don't think there was much else that they could have done with Dumbo making it into a live action movie. Then they shouldn't have done it. That's well, another thing. I really hate how we're going into all these, uh, like, well, now we have to make live action versions of all of our old movies because screw originality. We just want to make sure we make a buck. I mean, that's what it is a business. They, they want to make things that pe- they know. People, so... I, I get it when people say like uh, Hollywood is corrupt or not corrupt, but uh, bankrupt, creatively bankrupt. Yeah, I don't agree with it because Hollywood is made up of a lot of people that are very creative. The business side of Hollywood wants to just make money, and they know that it's a better bet to go with something that people know than to go with something that people don't know. So yeah, too much of a gamble. Audiences are the ones you should be mad at because they're the ones not going to the original movies. Yeah, and sometimes they're just not good either, though. So it's kind of... I mean, did you go see Hustlers this week? You know what? That was on my to-do list. Um, I was still recovering from alcohol poisoning (laughs) the other day, so I missed it. But I I do want to check it out. I mean, that's fair. And technically not an original movie. It's based off a book. It's based off a a true story book. Cardi B, I think, or someone else. I have no idea. It sounds like her life. From what I've heard about her, she used to do some weird like scams. Fair. Um, but other than that, people, I mean, it's just, it's just audiences like to go, I mean, look at our highest grossing movies right now, Marvel movies. It's, it's, it's all part of one giant franchise that people know at this point. It's a brand that people know. Star Wars movies. People go see Star Wars movies. That, or they go in droves to see those low budget, like conjuring movies, paranormal activities. And that's people like right at this point, conjuring movies are a brand too, though. Yeah. Like, but they're so cheap to make. They are. They can make them for practically nothing and still make a profit. Mm -hmm. Um, Horror movies will always be made. Franchise movies will always be made. Sequels will always be made. Yeah. But there are a few movies I'm excited about. As a matter of fact, there was just one I saw today. Uh, something about 
blood or something? It's like an outer space blood machine. Orb. Yes. Okay. I saw that today, and I'm like, I need to watch this. <laughs> this looks amazing. The Color Out of Space, one of those uh, movies based on Lovecraft, uh-huh. uh, should be coming out pretty soon too. I That's, still haven't is seen that the Mandy. one in Cage. Yes. Okay. Uh, but. Again, Nick Cage, there's Mandy, which came out earlier this year. Uh, was that this year or last year? I want to say it was year. earlier it this year. Maybe earlier this year. And I haven't had a chance to watch it. Neither but have it, I. It looks so good. And it's by the guy that did uh, the Beyond the Black Rainbow, which looks amazing if you haven't seen that trailer. Basically, I wouldn't say I've been a movie snob or some kind of a film buff. I just like things that are interesting. But and, yet you didn't go see Mandy. You didn't well, watch the, the original thing. I didn't get a chance to go see it. <laughs> but you got a chance to go watch Avengers Endgame. I didn't Endgame. get to go watch... Well, I mean, yeah. Sometimes you have to like decide between, like, <laughs> do I want to watch what I know is going to be the the good stuff? Or do I want to, you know, take a chance on this? And sometimes also the budget's not in it. And, I, and that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just saying that's what most audiences want to do. They want to go see that thing. So Hollywood is going to make the thing... That is that audiences want to go see instead of the thing that audiences will will just be like I'll wait for it to get on uh, to get on uh, uh, t- uh, VOD or DVD or something. So I, I, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying that's that's un- the unfortunate habit that is happening. Yeah, I guess I am part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I just said earlier that I am too. Yeah. So. What about uh what about TV shows? Going in going into this year, what did you what did you like watching? Um well, we got a new season of Stranger Things, so that was pretty fun like watching that. Um other TV shows haven't really seen that much. Uh, don't really watch a lot of TV nowadays actually. Um kind of like with the movies, there's the whole queue of TV shows on like Netflix that I want to watch such as uh Russian Doll and um Maniac. There's uh, Chernobyl, which came out on HBO recently. Really want to watch that. Just haven't really had a chance to to get to it with all the other stuff I'm trying to get through already. Um, you know, we're parsing out what we're currently watching, Car- Carnival Row, and um, you know, working full time, having a, a child, and limited budget is kind of just puts a okay what do i need to focus on right now because this is going to require all my attention <laughs> no i mean that's uh, it's completely understandable so um let, let's talk about that then like having a child and and being a geek so to speak like how how does how is that being a parent uh well it's kind of like having a little friend that you can be like hey check this out you're gonna like this so are you showing are you showing her all the things that you loved growing up oh yeah definitely and um, how is she receptive to that um some, some some of the stuff she doesn't really care for um i definitely started with star wars i was like you know any child of mine is gonna have to love this <laughs> so uh we started with force awakens so, so you started with force Awakens. yes okay uh, hey, it was what was that at the time All right. it caught her attention uh, ever since then she refers to anything Star Wars related as the BB show mm. uh, she really glomped onto uh, that little orange ball yeah um, Disney did what they were planning to do with yeah, that yeah I mean the, those guys have it down to a science like like crack peddlers for <laughs> entertainment and pop culture um, I mean it's only going to get worse with Disney Plus yes I'm really proud of her that she can name like most uh, superheroes since like the age of four uh, you know, most mainstream superheroes, you know, she wouldn't know 
who the hell, you know, someone like, you know, Red Robin is or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, like, she knows the the Justice League, a lot of the, the Avengers and the MCU. Uh, X-Men, not so much, but we'll work on that. You know, those are a little bit more nuanced. It's harder to tell them apart sometimes. And by the time the Disney gets around to making X-Men movies, she'll she'll be old enough to, to get a good grasp on those. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think in a couple of years, we can definitely pull off an Old Man Logan uh, team cosplay. Oh, I mean I, I mean, I think you... She's well. I guess you you do have to wait a couple more years she for her to a be. She needs a couple more, yeah. To be, and she's to be already got the attitude, but <laughs> just needs to grow into it. Um, okay, so if you started at Force Awakens, what, what did you you didn't did you do the machete cut? Did you? No, uh, we at that point we basically just watched them whenever. It's like, hey, we're going to watch this. You're going to sit down with me and watch it too. So she's watched them all out of order. Basically, yes. And I only figured that's all right because I watched them out of order technically. Like I started with Empire. Oh, um, that's odd. For, well. Just because of our age? Yeah, because uh, I believe it actually, when it first premiered on like HBO or something like that, I was uh, five, I want to say, four or five, and... That was just my first Star Wars experience. I just remember it was like a Saturday night. The whole family was together uh, eating pizza and say, hey, you're going to like this. And I was like, okay. And like, whoa, like that was definitely like a life changing moment when, um, you know, you see the speeders flying around for the first time and wrapping the tauntaun, the uh, tauntaun, the AT-AT legs and all that, the <laughs> lightsaber. The first time I saw a lightsaber get turned on, I was like, I want that. Like, I need one of those. I don't know where you get those. I want one. And, um, yeah, so that started my whole obsession, love for Star Wars. Um, Jedi came out, you know, I saw that later also. And I remember that somebody recorded for me, because we didn't have a VCR back then. Somebody recorded off of TV. It was like ABC Family Night or whatever they used to have back in the day. They'd show a movie uh, during the week. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they only did Empire and um, Jedi for some reason. So somebody recorded them for me. crudely cut out the commercial breaks so there there's like these weird kind of gaps and um for the longest time i thought those were the only two movies that existed <laughs> i didn't realize till later it was a trilogy and then i saw the first one and i'm like man the production on this one's so bad compared to the other two <laughs> uh, but yeah that got kind of my like love for cinema and special effects and behind the scenes stuff like i know i probably know way more about the what went on behind the scenes of star wars and like some of the people that probably worked on it because I've just read so much about it. um, Just, I know people's names from behind the scene, like John Dykstra, who's like special effects person that is also the father of Chloe Dykstra, kind of an internet celebrity from a few years. And, um, you know, Ben Burt, the guy who did all these sound effects, went on to do a whole bunch of other stuff. He was the voice of Wally in the Wally movie. And they got him specifically because of his expertise with recording natural sounds and so on. So I'm just like an it is an obsession, uh, or I would say was, because there was a turning point, <laughs> and I would say that's pretty recent turning point. Um, not as recent as you would think. Oh, so, so it started with the special editions. Oh, okay. Um, this is going to turn into like a Star Wars podcast, that's probably. Fine. But that's what you like to geek out about. I, it is. Yeah, about. Th- this is my thing. Yeah, this is my jam. So. When the special editions came out, I was excited because I was going to get to watch them in the theater. And I was excited because there was going to be additional scenes. This is like finding lost 
manuscripts <laughs> to a religious text. Like, oh man, there's more to this, you know? Like, I've already consumed so much. I definitely want the more. And they started re releasing the Star Wars toys back then, too. If you haven't seen it on、um, Netflix, there's this really cool documentary series called The Toys That Made Us.、Mm-hmm. And the one about Star Wars, I think it was the first episode, as a matter of fact. I think so, too. It goes into like, some interesting details about what happened with the.、Uh, The licensing rights of Star Wars, how that whole thing was like super genius. I won't go too、On、much、Lucas's、into it.、Part? Yes. Because、um, he basically said, all right, like I'll make this movie for dirt cheap and forego my regular salary, but I want the merchandising rights. And Fox was like, whatever. Okay, yeah, you'll make a few lunchboxes, big deal. <laughs> and then it exploded into the. So、uh, at this point, what did Lucas made? Uh, when he made Star Wars? Yeah.、Um, when he made this deal, and he's like, hey, I'll make Star Wars for you guys. Before that, he had only made two other movies、uh, THX 1138, which was his college movie.、Uh, one of his college movies. He definitely expanded upon it. The college movie version was definitely lower budget. Oh, okay.、Uh, this was essentially the same story, just expanded to a feature length film with you know, bigger budget, bigger effects, and actual movie stars. It had、uh, Robert Duvall in the main right. role. Right.、Um, And then th- that was kind of a critical success, but nobody understood it. It's like, what is happening? This is like such a boring movie. Kind of the same problem with 2001 A Space Odyssey. That's just too dense、mm-hmm. for mainstream audiences. But man, like, well, that was an interesting movie. And then、um, because of that,、uh, he had made a bet with somebody who basically said, like, you know, you just can't make a movie that'll make money, can you? It was like a studio executive or something. So he was like, oh, yeah, well, and he jumped on the, you know, we've talked about this before that、uh, nostalgia comes in waves. Right. You're almost always like 20 or 30 years, like, you know, reminiscent stage. So、uh, he made American Graffiti as a way to challenge the, the notion that he couldn't make a movie that would make money, you know, just make like a studio film. And so he did that. It was super low budget. Like, You know, one of the first appearances of Harrison Ford in a movie.、Mm-hmm. It had uh,、um, the, the mom from Step by Step, Suzanne Summers, I think, in like a big、yeah. part. And、uh, wasn't Michelle Pfeiffer in that also?、Uh, I don't think it was、Or、Michelle Pfeiffer. Am I thinking、Pfeiffer. of. You might be thinking of Grease 2. <laughs> Grease 2, okay, maybe I am. But yeah, still a movie about the 50s and whatever.、Um, But it came out in the 70s. Yes. Like, was, you, like you're saying, it's, it's the people that were、Ron、young、Howard. at one time.、Uh, Are now the ones that are spending the money, so you make a movie about when they were young. Yeah, because that's what they really want to see, that whole nostalgia factor.、Uh, so, yeah, so he made American Graffiti, and that was actually a success. It did make money. So they're like, okay, you know, you prove that you can be bankable.、Uh, what do you want to do next? And he wanted to do Flash Gordon.、Uh, he was a really big fan of those serials. He wanted to do it exactly like that, where it didn't have a standard beginning, middle, and end. He wanted to jump in like, this is already an ongoing story. This is just like one chapter of that story. Kind of just pretend that you've already seen the previous ones, you know, whatever. But he couldn't get the rights to it. So he instead just kind of tweaked it and made this really, really dense、um, treatment for what was called the Star Wars, as taken from the Journal of the Wills by Mace Windy. <laughs> Like,、wow. that was the full title back then. It was just ridiculous. And、uh, thankfully, he shortened it to just Star Wars because you don't really need all that other stuff. That wouldn't even come into play until like three decades later. <laughs>、um, 
But yeah, so he made that, and uh, it was. I mean, if again, if you go into the behind the scenes stuff of that, um, it basically kind of proved that Lucas is an idea guy, but doesn't really know how to tell a story. Um, you know, American Graffiti was just basically a series of vignettes of things that happened during a day, right? But very loosely rela- like correlated to each other. There's really no like point. And then, I would say. and then I would say Richard Linklater came by and did. Days Confused and did it much better. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely movies that can do that. And, like, as I'll give credit to Lucas for being, like I said, the the progenitor of something like this, but he cannot direct to save his life. (laughs) The prequels are the proof of that, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, But basically, yeah, he made Star Wars. It was just fraught with all kinds of production trouble. Um, The first cut was horrible. there's a really cool video on YouTube called How Star Wars Was Saved in the Edit that actually shows you, like, based off the original script he was working off of that he wrote, um, it was just all over the place. And he has this really pedantic nature where he wants to over-explain things through dialogue, but he writes in such an unnatural way that it's just, he's like the opposite of Tarantino. It's like everybody goes into a monologue when they're explaining something, and it just grinds the movie to a halt (laughs) so during the editing process which one of the editors was his wife right um they basically took all of the existing footage um they shot a few uh reshoots but they didn't have a whole lot of budget by the end of the production so it's just a few things there was one famous scene if you remember when uh luke is looking for r2 and uh some some tuscan raiders some of those sand people find them one of them knocks him over and he does his like victory stance where he's like waving the stick over his head yeah um i just got a flashback i think we talked about this exact same story the first podcast we did i mean that was over three years ago so you don't have to worry about it all right yeah nobody remembers that anyway. <laughs> uh but yeah it looks really awkwardly like positioned and that's because they just looped that same like two seconds of action uh-huh. to stretch it out to like five or six because they didn't have enough footage to you know make to the cover thing. yeah and like the whole point of like uh, oh star wars is so weird because it uses all these wipe edits it was like that's because they didn't have anything to transition you had to create the illusion of momentum and forward like motion by literally making the screen cut from one thing to another. And the funny thing is now that if you didn't use them in a Star Wars movie, people would be pissed. Yeah, because it's it, it's part of what gave it its unique look and feel. It I was, hate him so much. It, it was genius by accident, for sure. That That's what he is. He's an accidental genius. He's like a Tommy Wiseau in a way. Oh. Um, so yeah, so then they take the movie away from him. They make it into something watchable. It becomes oh, a huge hi, hit. Oh, hi, Han. Oh, hi, Luke. Um, so... Uh, fast forward, you know, he gives up on directing, so he hires his like film teacher to do Empire Strikes Back, and it's mostly regarded as like the best of the bunch. Um, he hires some French dude after he couldn't get David Lynch to do Return of the Jedi, um, and those two are by far superior. I mean, I would definitely put, yeah, I would say Jedi maybe edges out the original Star Wars just a little bit. Yeah, a lot. Of, I, I hear a lot of people making the argument that. Jedi is the better movie uh, out of the out of the three. Well, I guess would out of the whole franchise, and then the other people, most people like I, I fall on the Empire is the better movie. I mean, it's a better shot movie, but I guess because it ends, it's the middle chapter of a trilogy. Um, Jedi would be the more satisfactory one because it has it feels it like has it has the more happy of a, ending and has the ending, yeah, so to speak. And uh, I mean, but Star Wars or Star Wars Empire has the has the reveal. 
Yeah, Empire has a lot of really interesting stuff, which actually wasn't the intention, by the way. Mm. That's another thing. Lucas is a constant revisionist. I mean, he can't stop re-editing his movies. <laughs> Maybe now he will because he doesn't own them anymore. But um, Well, yeah. there was reports that they had him come on to uh, Solo, right? Uh, yeah, that he gave a couple of directions. To Ron uh, Howard. Yeah, and there's rumors that he might even be a creative consultant on uh, Rise of Skywalker, which... If you've seen some of the interviews from around the time when he sold Star Wars to Disney, like he was not saying some nice things about that whole process. I mean, he went so far as to call Disney white slavers. And I'm like, inappropriate and also exaggerate much. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, essentially, um, I feel like Lucas eventually bought into his own hype that he was this genius filmmaker and that you know he was the creator, so to speak. <laughs> Uh, of this franchise, this multi-million dollar saga, which continued to thrive, even though with limited, because at that point there was only some expanded universe stuff coming out, like in the late 80s to mid 90s. You had books that were expanding on, the, like there was official sequels to the movie. You know, you had uh, Dark Empire, Heir to the Empire, Last Command, all these other books. Lots of big things were happening. Um, other characters were being expanded on greatly, um, but there was no... Um, real direction for it lucas just basically was like yeah okay you can write about this or no leave this alone like one of the famous ones was clone wars and um he didn't want people to do anything about that because you know it was rumored that one day he might want to revisit it when that letter turned out to be true um but see like in the original movies there was a lot of people who were kind of they were working with him by being against him Whenever he was getting a little too crazy with something, they'd be like, no, no, like we can't do this or this doesn't work. And they could override him. Uh, when it came to the time for the, I guess, the special editions and the prequels, they were gone. He was in charge of everything and there was no one to say no to him. <laughs> and then we got what the prequels were, which were just, I want to say, if you ever have the free time to watch like three hours worth of content, you need to watch the Red Letter Media Star Wars reviews. These guys, they're like former film students. I think they have their own film production company. They've made some independent movies, but they have just like some of the best reviews of like some of the movies that I love. Um, they did reviews of all the next generation movies where they just eviscerate them. Oh, wow. Um, and they go into but they're, they make fun of them, but they also make good points. Like That's where my stance on Star Wars started to change. When the prequels came out, they made me feel empty, and I didn't know why. And I was like, I should love these, but they're not hitting me. Like I remember I read the novelization. That was a big thing I did in the early 2000s. I would read the novelizations of movies when they were coming out. Mm -hmm. um, the one for Spider-Man, for instance, with Tobey Maguire was really interesting. Really? Yeah, they had a lot of uh, Easter eggs in the book that were not in the movie. Well, I think, I think, um, I think for novelizations, because, I mean, it would depend on who actually has the, the rights to the novelization. I think you can get away with more Easter egg stuff, like more Marvel stuff, because it's not—it's not, it's not it's Sony. Not it's not the movie. Yeah, it's not the film. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely tell that they put a lot of stuff in the script because that was there was—it was a novelization based on the screenplay. So, because if you look at the novelization for Homecoming, if I remember correctly, Spider-Man: Homecoming with Tom Tommy uh, Tom Holland, 
They had um, the Michelle character be the niece to the Vulture. Oh. Uh, to Michael Keaton's character. As we come to find out in that movie comes out, you know, Liz, his girlfriend, or his date to the homecoming dance is the one that's actually the daughter to the vulture, Michael Keaton's character. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that could have been something that happened after the fact. As a matter of fact, that's a good point because that was where I was going to lead into with <coughs> The Phantom Menace. Um, because I've read other novelizations before, um, including the Star Wars novelizations too, for the others, which had a lot of interesting information on them. That was one of the reasons why I was excited about the special editions. I was like, oh, I'm going to see that scene with uh, Big Stark later uh, at the homestead and talking about, you know, his friends at Tashi Station and all that stuff. Like, they actually filmed that. There's deleted scenes of that on the internet now. Um, but another thing is, I also know that, you know, things can change in the final product. So I read the Phantom Menace novelization. It was written by Terry Brooks, who does, I think, things like the, the Shannara series mm-hmm. and things like that. So he's a good science fiction writer. And I was just like, I, I hope this is the, like, pre-edit version of the movie that I'm about to watch because the movie is going to come out like within a couple of days. But I was like, really? Like, that's what happens to Darth Maul? He has like two lines and he just gets killed? (laughs) And I was like, this feels so anticlimactic. Like, this didn't go anywhere. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, maybe that's just my interpretation. I'm, I'm obviously not getting the full story here. The movie was exactly like the book. Uh, with a few exceptions of a, a few extra scenes that take place on Tatooine with Anakin, um, you actually get to meet him a lot earlier in the book, and he has a run-in with the sand person that he kind of befriends, and there's more detail about what happens during the pod races and stuff, but uh, other than that, it was practically the same. And uh, I was like, man, this this this, this sucks. Yeah. yeah. Like, I no, that can't be right. <laughs> like, I must suck for not getting it, you know? Like, it, it's... So then the movie comes out, and I'm like, uh, I, I need to watch this again. I watched it, like, five times. Wow. And with each time I watched it, I'm like, no, it's still not sinking in. Like, what's wrong here? Am I just getting older? Is this, like, just meant for kids? You know, like, I was struggling. And then, you know, the, the other two movies came out, and they were still just like, are these not good movies? Like, why don't, why don't I like them? And then the Red Letter Media reviews came out. And changed my life because they pointed out all the things that I couldn't articulate as far as, oh, the story is terribly written and it wasn't well directed. And the acting was also kind of bad for for some of the actors. I mean, Liam Neeson did the best he could, but I mean, when the direction given to him was just be serious, I mean, wow. (laughs) Um, I heard that he had to fight to put his hand on like the shoulder of Shmi Skywalker when he was saying, like, yeah, we're going to take your son to teach him to be a Jedi. And George Lucas was like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm showing comfort, compassion. And he's like, no, like, you don't touch her. And I was like, dude, I'm taking her son. Like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> you know, like, that kind of thing didn't happen enough in the prequels to, you know, basically make it more... To shut Lucas up. Yeah, to make it more palatable, I guess. So, yeah. Like, so, I, he, he tried to pull the, so to speak, Jedi mind trick on... Liam Neeson that he managed to pull on uh, Carrie Fisher, unfortunately, telling him that telling her that underwear doesn't exist in outer space. Yeah, basically. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a whole other part of it. Like, if Me Too existed in the seventies, I'm sure that would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Carrie Fisher had some interesting stories. She's hinted at some pretty awful stuff in Hollywood in the past. But, oh yeah. Um. But yeah. So like the red letter media reviews kind of just shed a light, and I kind of feel like I learned a lot more about just filmmaking in general. 
Um, it was kind of like a really cool introductory, like film 101, uh, because those guys definitely have had that kind of training just by listening, even though it's like filled with fart jokes and so on. I mean, they point out like, you know, things about structure and pacing and editing. And I was like, oh, I feel like I learned something. And in that, I learned to appreciate the movies more um, as just the cinematic failures that they were, because they weren't commercial failures. Uh, the merchandising definitely took a hit, but the, the movies themselves still made a lot of money, even though they weren't great, just because they were coasting on, well, it's Star Wars. Of course, we're going to go watch it. Um, but I've learned my lessons since then, and now I'm definitely, I think it's made me much more critical. Again, I don't consider myself a film buff by any stretch, um, but I feel like I understand what to look for more and understand the language of cinema. Whereas before, it'd just be like, all right, let's watch something that's fun and has explosions and whatever. I was like, no, now I understand why things like uh, The Force Awakens, I mean, before everybody started saying it, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly the same movie as uh, A New Hope. And then The Last Jedi was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, and, and that's one of the things that we talked about is how things without wipes now wouldn't feel like Star Wars. This movie felt nothing like Star Wars. And I get that that's what they were going for. I've seen also, you know, the, the opposite end of that where people are saying, well, here's why The Last Jedi is actually good and the kind of change that this franchise needs to stay relevant. And I'm like, no, this was still just a really bad movie. Like, yeah. I saw those arguments. I can understand the points. But I would have to say they're completely wrong. Like, it's just the, this. They really, really screwed it up. The Kathleen Kennedy, I feel like she has her own agenda. And it's just screwing up the franchise and it's to the point now where it, like i don't care anymore uh, i was like well i mean it's not really for me it's it, it is meant for kids and it's nice that some people can have that you know nostalgia as adults that like oh you know i really like that it was nice um but i mean like causing one of the actors to quit twitter over the hate that they were receiving i was like come on man like we're supposed to be more mature than that no it, it just kind of made me take a, a reflection on like just the fandom in general yeah, and I was like, you know, it's you know, like it's it's our fault that things are getting bad sometimes. <laughs> so then, going into the ninth movie, uh, Rise of Skywalker, seeing the trailer for that, what what are you thinking? What where are you at now? I'm super not excited. I had hope when Force Awakens was first announced because I liked a few of the actors that were being cast in it. Um, Daisy Ridley, I feel, is really charming. And has it brings a lot of charisma to the character, um, but I just I mean Star Wars was about the story, uh, you know. I mean, the original Star Wars was essentially Flash Gordon with a bit of the Joseph Campbell, you know, the 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 hero myth journey storyline, um, and now it's like there's really nothing there, you know. Like one of the things I really liked about the originals too, I loved the ships. The designs were so iconic, so original, so unique. Um, I loved how, you know, the rebels had these beat up looking things with different color patches on them because they're the ragtag group of, you know, whatever and they have older technology and so on. In the Empire, they have the brand new latest and greatest like mass produced shiny all matching equipment and everything it was just really unique visually iconic and everything and i feel like they really lost that since the prequels everything just became more homogenized um you know the enemies now don't matter because you know the prequels they were robots or these bug creatures so they're just basically cannon fodder um and this new one like i 
can't even really tell apart who's who. You know, like the rebels all look like they're just wearing brown or beige. And they're not even rebels anymore. They're the, the resistance, which in and of itself is like, okay, resisting what? Like, aren't technically aren't the First Order the rebels now? <laughs> you know, it, it just brings up this whole thing of like, yeah, no, they're talking about creative bankruptcy. The, the books, I feel like, really pushed it into new areas, uh, some interesting areas. And you had some really amazing characters like Grand Admiral Thrawn um, going into more about Boba Fett, the Bounty Hunters Guild. Um, you know, Myra Jade or Mara Jade, um, who eventually became Luke Skywalker's wife. Han Solo and Leia with their kids. I mean, they didn't split up like in the movie. They actually, you know, were a couple and had kids. And this new Jedi Order that was starting. And it was just interesting. Like, they were going in some cool directions with that. But they had to then get rid of all of it because Disney wanted to do their... I heard... The reason why they decanonized all of the books and all of the previous stuff other than the movies was because they needed to have Chewbacca back. In the books, Chewbacca dies in one of the, the later books. And they're like, well, we need to have Chewbacca. And I'm like, why? After watching Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, he has nothing to do. His most memorable scene is feeling looking like he feels guilty for eating a porg. <laughs> And that's it. I mean, you get you get the scene in in Force Awakens where uh, where Han dies, so you get that reaction. He which, growls. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm agreeing with you, but I'm just saying. <laughs> and then you get the porg scene in that. But he is essentially a giant teddy bear, so it's more things that you can sell to a kid. Yeah, that's exactly what the porgs were. I mean, the BB-8 that's exactly is, what a BB-8 is. Yeah, this it, and that's all they. It, it's become that. Um, Again, I mean, they, back, they put the, the Star Wars on everything. You can buy sandwich bags with, with R2-D2 on it. You can buy a, a bag of bananas with uh, Luke on it, you know? Yeah, but see, and that's a really good point because none of the prequel stuff and none of the new trilogy stuff is selling. They, uh, I think for The Last Jedi, it's, it's like they were showing as an example like warehouses filled with toys that aren't selling. Um, they're not even that like dollar stores. They're 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 not making their money back off of those. Um, I heard a story that it might become kind of like the uh, the ET games of 1982, wow. where they just have to make a hole somewhere in the middle of like New Mexico and just pour cement on them because <laughs> it's just junk now. Um, but yeah, that's a really good point because kind of going back to the whole the the toy uh, licensing deal that Lucas struck. Eventually, um, that's the, where the real money ended up being, was uh, in the merchandising rights. I was going to say, because I still hear about people that are like, oh, well, I need to go get the the special edition cup over at McDonald's that's coming out this this year with the the Last Jedi characters on it and stuff like that. Like, I still hear people are excited about those stuff, so I don't, I don't understand when... There's definitely people that are into, like, niche collecting or have to have everything. I was one of those people once. Um, I used to have my bedroom covered from like floor to ceiling in Star Wars toys. Um, I've since sold so much of that stuff now that it's almost kind of hard to believe. Like I literally have maybe like one box that isn't even unpacked anymore. It's, it's everything's just stored because it was like, I mean, it's all right. And I, I mean, I have like a, an R2-D2 signed by Kenny Baker. And I was like, well, I mean, I can't get rid of that. I went through all the trouble of getting it signed by him in person. But, like, I sold every single Phantom Menace toy that I bought. Um, 
I think around 2005 or six was when I started, and I just put them all together, put them up on eBay, say, hey, anybody want this stuff? I'll give you a good deal, free shipping, you know. And yeah, it's gone. I have I have nothing of the prequels anymore. Um, I have a few things that were like classics uh, from when they first came out, and only because I've had them since I was like four or five. Other than that, it's like, yeah, I can I can do without this stuff. It's just needless plastic at this point. <laughs> Nothing from the new movies except for like the BB-8. I bought the little uh, remote control BB-8 from Sphero, um, which now the battery's not charging, so it's now the paperweight. <laughs> oh. But uh, that's like the only thing I've bought from the the new trilogy. I don't think I got anything from The Last Jedi, nor will I. Um that's and that's one of the things I think is a detriment to the Disneyland park now, the Galaxy's Edge. I keep hearing more and more that it's just not attracting as much traffic as they thought it was going to bring. And I was like, well, that's a shame, but I kind of understand because they're focusing on like the new stuff, and that's the stuff that most people that are actually nostalgic about Star Wars don't really care for. Because some of them, like myself, kind of feel like they've been burned. Um, I'm not one of those people that'll ever say like, oh, George Lucas ruined my childhood or anything like that. Um, but it doesn't really make me too excited about the new stuff. That's fair. I mean, so yeah, talking about the where we're going from here, Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland and Disney World have uh, have the the Smuggler's Run yeah, ride. That, is that what it's called? Yeah, Smuggler's Run, which is the one you ride inside the uh, Millennium Falcon. All right, and then they have another one that's coming. Right, there's yeah. another ride coming. And then. You have over at Disney World, they'll have the immersive uh, the three thousand dollar a night hotel experience. That's yeah. right, for one person, three thousand uh, dollars, not a night, but three thousand dollars for the three nights or oh, two so. nights, three days. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, you're going to have that event. But going forward, you also have uh, before. The Sky Rise of Skywalker comes out. We have uh, the Mandalorian coming out on on Disney Plus. Now, now that is the ray of hope. <laughs> okay, that I have. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, I guess to that point, there are some bright spots that have come out since the prequels, and um, I feel like they've been in, in spite of what Lucas was trying to do. There's other creators that know how to handle the material better. Uh, people like Dave Filoni. Who's going to be directing one of the episodes. Yes, and he was uh, instrumental in uh, like the Clone Wars. Uh, Gendy Tartovsky, who did the original run of the Clone Wars cartoons. Um, to tell you this much, like the difference that it makes when you have somebody that knows what they're doing, General Grievous was introduced in the Clone Wars uh, like mini-episodes, uh, those were the ones that were actually animated, and they have the um, the uh, Samurai Jack animation style mm-hmm. before the CGI ones came out. They introduced General Grievous in those cartoons, and he was just like awesome in those. Like he was menacing, he was foreboding, he just just a complete ass kicker. Uh, then they introduced him in the movie, which for most people was the first time they saw him. But I mean, I remember him from the cartoon first. And he's just a completely different character. He's like comical. He has this weird hunchback walk and he's coughing, but he's like a cyborg. And he has this weird kind of like Russian sounding accent. 
um, only slightly better than my own <laughs> when I do it. And I'm like, what is this? Like, did they forget what how they wrote this? Um, and then I came to find out in the uh, the, the behind the scenes stuff of like the Revenge um, of the Sith. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was one of those situations where Lucas was like, I need you guys to design the bad guy for my movie. He's going to be the leader of the droid army. Go. And then you have all these writers like, okay, so is he a droid too? And it's like, go. So you have all these guys like, okay, well, you know, somebody drew what looked like a child, but he was, you know, in like uh, almost like imperial uh, officer uniform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was just all these weird-looking aliens with, like, bulbs on their head. And, you know, basically they would put them all on a wall. And then Lucas would come in, just kind of look at everything, and be like, no, you guys haven't got it yet. Try again. Wow. Like, that's literally his style. Like, And that's how it's been since day one of working on Star Wars. Like, all of, all of the good stuff that you like about Star Wars probably Not had nothing to do with him <laughs> i mean another guy designed all the ships and came up with the logic and the lore behind them uh you know other people made the sounds the special effects obviously uh you know even the the writing you could say was like so much of it was changed it's not even him anymore and there's a really cool video on youtube as well where mark hamill he's been interviewed on like the tonight show or something with johnny carson and he talks about like being in Star Wars, like, oh, yeah, we're in this new movie. It's really cool. And they're like, yeah, well, what did you like about it? And I said, like, well, it's really fun. You go to these really like cool places all around the world. And they said, well, what didn't you like about it? And I was like, the dialogue was horrible. <laughs> and he gave an example because he had to learn this line. It's, it's the scene where they come out of hyperspace when they're going to Alderaan. Um, and, you know, it's been blowed up already. Spoiler alert, you know, in case anybody hasn't seen it. And For the 40-year-old movie? Yes. And so there's like, yeah, well, we're here, but it's not there. And I was like, well, what do you mean it's not there? And then he goes into like this whole, like, I want to, it, it probably was like a paragraph where Luke is basically saying like, oh, there's no way it could be gone. Like, no amount of ships, the, you know, could do it. And that was bigger than the army that they had in this one planet during the battle of blah, blah, blah. Like, whoa like what the hell so you kind of start putting the pieces together that lucas is actually a hack um a very rich one i mean he made some good business decisions but i mean at the cost of artistic integrity i think so maybe he's always just a businessman he just happened to have a good good couple ideas he did yeah that's basically what it was and um so kind of going back to the mandalorian (laughs) i feel that you have a few things that came out of star wars still in spite of George Lucas, that were still good because he had people that understand the the uh, the uh, you know the the franchise. Uh, one of the best things, in my opinion, was the Republic Commando series. Uh, there was a few books that came out, uh, which Lucas eventually also got his hands on and destroyed. Also, uh, there was a really awesome video game that came out for the Xbox too, um, also called Republic Commando. One of the best Star Wars games I've ever played. Um, amazing story great voice acting um you have the uh knights of the old republic which isn't directly based on any of the movies but was so good in its own right that they're actually thinking about turning that into its own trilogy supposedly that's what benioff and weiss after coming off of game of thrones were being tapped to uh to write or to produce um and the mandalorian basically has that same vibe you have like i said one of the people from the clone Wars series you have john favreau who um i mean for all intents and purposes 
Cowboys versus Aliens was kind of like his audition for this series because <laughs> that's essentially what you're going to get. You're going to get like a little Western bit of Star Wars, with, uh, Star Wars, with a little bit of Firefly thrown in. Yeah, I don't care what Steven says. Firefly is one of the greatest shows ever made. Yes, it was. Um, so I'm super psyched. I love the 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 Mandalorian culture, which they go a lot into in um, the Republic Commando series. Um, so much so that the author was so good that she even came up with the language for them, which up until that point didn't exist. Uh, so you can actually, we could be having this conversation in Mandalorian right now if we really wanted to. Which isn't a race, it's a class. It's a, it's a culture. It's a culture. Yes. Uh, the Mandalorians, uh, if you really want to get into that, was a race at one point, but then it just became uh, accepting everybody and it became a culture. But yeah. Um. I'm super excited about it. I love the cast that they've announced, the people involved in it, Taika Waititi, Pedro Pascal, Bill Burr. Bill Burr people. has a part, yeah, of all he's, people. And he's excited about it. He's it, been vocal that he hates sci-fi and Star Wars in particular, but he's a, when they brought approached him about this... Yeah, of course like, he's not going to say no. He's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's more exposure, but he's... Um, I mean, you can tell when somebody's just kind of like going through the motions and saying, yeah, like this is a great project. I'm glad to be involved in it. He genuinely seems to like like what he was involved in he says that when he saw the trailer for the first time like the rough cut of it he was blown away um and i mean he's not a good actor so i, I believe him <laughs> when he's being sincere about it there's a uh and john favreau himself has come out in the last couple of weeks saying that he would love to direct one of the episodes in season two because he didn't direct any of the episodes he just show ran it which i find incredible for being a person who's a director yeah um I think maybe like after Iron Man two, he was like, eh, maybe take a step back from drinking well, a little bit. No, he did. He did Jungle Book after he did Iron Man oh, two. That's true. Yeah, and he just recently did Lion King. Oh, and he did Chef too, right? Like that was he his did own do thing. Chef. That was after. Was it after Iron Man two? Yes. Yeah, it was after Iron Man two. Because some people say that that was his way of like passive aggressively complaining against the MCU's. Uh, like studio process uh, a, well too they did take a lot of it away from him so that yeah. they could add in the avenger stuff that he really didn't want to do yeah so he basically made this movie to be like this is what it's like when a creator is like overruled and you just gotta break away and do your own thing to like <laughs> regain your sanity or whatever and then disney came back and said okay you don't have to do iron man 3 but we're we want you to do jungle book so he made jungle book yeah and, and he's jungle still in book them, so. did so great that he uh <laughs> he they did iron lion king for them because he was supposed to do magic kingdom at some point uh which i guess went on the back burner after after they decided to give him lion king magic kingdom is supposed to be like Night at the Museum, but with Disney instead. <laughs> yeah, maybe they got cold feet after Tomorrowland didn't do so great. This is true. Tomorrowland didn't do so great. Another one, uh, another YouTuber that I want to plug, because, uh, you know, I love these people. You do watch a lot of YouTube, <laughs> I but do. You, I you're spend one a of the few on people that sends me uh, like links to YouTube stuff, and I'm like, okay, let's see where John's taking He's me today. Like, Check this out. Uh, well, I mean, there's other people that I'll send Pornhub links to, but you're not one of those. Yeah, I'm not one of those, thankfully. <laughs> Um, shout out to Daniel, one of our other podcasters yeah. on here. Um, but yeah, so um, I completely got derailed. Oh, yes. Uh, there is another YouTuber named uh, Jenny. Ah, what the hell was her name? Jenny something. If you type in Jenny Star Wars, I'm sure that'll... Oh, Jenny Nichols. Nichols. And um, so she loves Star Wars. She used to work at Disneyland, so she does a lot of videos where she talks about how she worked on it. I mean, don't they sign uh, like agreements saying that they're not allowed to talk about working there? I mean, she doesn't badmouth Star Wars. 
So it's it's not a it's not a thing where they're gonna be uh, getting mad at her for saying bad things about it. Right. Yeah. She's not like hypercritical about her or anything, but she just sometimes kind of gives them a good ribbing. Um, and so she did an entire episode on the Tomorrowland movie and how disappointing it was because it was basically bait and switch. Mm. You know, the trailer makes it seem like it's going to be about Tomorrowland, but it's really not. It's such a... Like, did you watch that movie? I did. I actually like it. You like... Oh, man, why? What's wrong with you? I don't know. I, just, I think it's a good movie. It's, it's, it's a movie about hope. It, it, it gets a little too heavy-handed with its whole, you're going to fit... You need to fix the environment or else we're all going to die. Um, the thing is, is that we know that we just don't care <laughs> and that's the unfortunate part. Yeah, but it, it just felt like it was marketed as like Tomorrowland and instead it's like, hey, we need to do something to save the planet and like the Tomorrowland parts are which were what I wanted to see were just like bookends. They were just a teaser for like a potential. Well, I think the idea is that we could have Tomorrowland. Our, our land can be Tomorrowland if we just have a tomorrow. No, we're not. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm gonna... saying. That, that's how heavy-handed that book, that movie is. Yeah, and I mean, they were supposed to be working on a Jungle Cruise movie too, supposedly. No, they are. It, it's, they it's, are still working it, on it's, it. It's, it's already and it's it's already finished filming. It's in editing process right now. The Rock and Emily, uh, the one that's married to John Cranston, Blunt. Jim, Emily Blunt, thank you. Krasinski? Krasinski, not Cranston. John Krasinski. I just combined John Krasinski and Brian Cranston. Dude, that'd be like the mega actor. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know. I was really burned by Tomorrowland. I was like, this is not the movie that I wanted it to be. And I mean, that's my own fault for putting expectations on it, just, I suppose. Just wait till they get to the small world movie. Oh, like... I hope that's a horror movie. <laughs> puppets come to life. We already got Five Nights at Freddy's. Or no, I'm sorry. It was the uh, Bananas in Pajamas? No. What was the name of the... What's the... Uh, yeah, it's Bananas something. Banana Split. Banana Splits, thank you. Yeah. yeah the Banana Splits mo- movie was a horror movie on Sci-Fi Channel that just came out recently. Yeah, I want to watch that. Is that already out already? It is already oh, out. Nice. So we can watch it together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... So, long story short, yeah, Jenny Nichols did a whole video on it that also I feel like, I don't know, there's just, I admire certain people that can put to words or can describe the things that I'm thinking or feeling, but I just don't have the mental capacity to actually put out there. And so, like, someone like her, like, she does really awesome videos where, I mean, and some of them are kind of long, too, which I, I don't like long YouTube videos, but if there's certain creators that I like, you know, I hang on every word they say for some reason. Like me. Yes, exactly. No, that's <laughs> shocking. Okay, well then, uh, I mean, the last part of Star Wars would be the Benioff and Weiss Weiss movie, which was a trilogy. Now is down to just being one movie. The Ryan Johnson trilogy, which I don't even know if he's doing a whole trilogy anymore. Uh, what where's the, what's the future of Star Wars look like to you? Since you you went from being a huge fan to being a cynic now. Um, I think it's too big for the. I mean, they spent way too much money on it to give up on it. Uh, but it's definitely going to need a huge overhaul. It's just one of those things where they went about it all the wrong ways. Um, you know, it's like Lucas introducing midi chlorians in the prequels. It's like you just destroyed everything you set up. It's no longer about spirituality. Now it's like, oh, you, it's genetic lottery. If you happen to be born with just the right amount of stuff in your blood. You get, you know, abducted from your family when you're four and start getting trained to be a space monk, whether you like it or not. And I was like, what? No, like, you you just don't understand. Like, I see the way I always thought about it 
at least as a child, I was like, okay, being a Jedi is like this universe's version of being like a Buddhist monk or like a Shaolin monk might be a better example. You know, like anybody could reach that level of like magic powers. Like you could become a Kung Fu Jedi master also. But the amount of discipline it would take is not something everybody can do, you know. And that's why Yoda explains you have to have the most serious mind and dedication to actually get there. And, you know, the the Sith only appear to be stronger faster because they cheat and, you know, they use their anger and blah, blah, blah. And that's like basically the difference between somebody being a disciplined kung fu artist versus like a street brawler or just a drunk, you know? Um, you know, like, yeah, the street brawler might be tough and can, you know, lay a whopping, but they can get laid out because somebody is actually trained and knows what to do will always dominate. Instead, no, it's just like, oh, if you just have enough of, you know, magic blood in you and you get some training and you can do all these things like, you know, convince people to do what you want and move things with your mind. And it was like, this is this is terrible storytelling and lore building. Like yeah. the, the, the mythos has been shattered and it just became horrible. And um, you would really need to course correct. Uh, I kind of feel like that's one of the things Ryan Johnson was trying to do was like, hey, all of you like man children need to like let go of the past. Like these are just movies. We're gonna keep the story going, but you have to give us like a chance to, you know, expand on this. And too many people didn't get that. I mean, I know that that's what he was going for, but it was still just a poorly written movie. I'll give him props for being a good director. He came up with some really amazing visuals and some uh, some cool ideas. But as a whole, the narrative was just all over the place. It was terrible. It was like things that rely on withholding information from characters for no real reason. <laughs> as like, this is why you could have saved so much of this. You, I still believe, and maybe one day if I get off my lazy ass and actually learn editing... Um, I want to just as an experiment try editing out the entire casino planet portion out of the, the Last Jedi, <laughs> uh-huh. and just make it seem like they ran into Benicio del Toro in the brig of like the ship that they were already on, and see if that makes it even flow better. Like in my head, I already visualized like, dude, you could totally cut that out. It wouldn't make any difference, and it might even make it better. Maybe this is like. Can, can you also kill? Uh, Leia at the beginning of the movie when she goes into outer oh, space. Oh, absolutely! Instead of having Act- her force float and do back yeah, into do, the ship, do, do the Mary Poppins back into the thing. Yeah, um, it make it make the last scene where Luke dies a little awkward, but <laughs> well, we could make it pretend like like now she's a force ghost within the rest of the movie. Well, I mean, I guess technically you just have him as a force ghost show up on the salt field, and you don't even have to have that beginning part where he goes and talks to Leia. No, yeah, you and gives totally. her the the dice that magically show up in the solo movie later. Well, those are actually from the original Star Wars, but they were just like a little like sight gag because in the seventies, you know, right. like, people had dice in their mm-hmm. cars, rearview mirror. So they had these little two golden dice on the Millennium Falcon, which you see for like approximately two seconds uh, in one scene, and that's it. But it becomes such a big part in in Last Jedi. See, but yeah, that was one of the things that they did in. Um, in the late 80s, early 90s, when there wasn't any real new material coming out, that's when you started having things like the Star Wars Encyclopedia come out. And you had people just like analyze every frame of the movies <laughs> and just try to come up with a... So two know, seconds turned into 60 frames and all of a sudden, or I guess it'd be 48 frames. 
Yeah, so now you have an explanation for what things are. Like, you know, imperial uh, officers have these little, like, pen-looking things in their pockets. You know, we've talked about that before. We talked when you corrected me. Yes, and uh, I was like, what are those things? And I was like, well, those are data cylinders that they use, essentially like key cards, which have, you know, based on their rank, the level of security that they're allowed and blah, 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 and all this that was just a little like on-screen prop to make their costumes look more interesting. Like, right. It had no real purpose or function, but then, you know, you have to make up something for it after the fact. Like, like every button on Darth Vader's chest. Exactly. Has- and there's a red letter media video specifically about Darth Vader's suit that talks about that and how they describe exactly <laughs> what we're talking about right now. Uh, all right, John, if anybody needed to know exactly about you, I think this hour of talking has would definitely have done it this is what i live and breathe people. <laughs> um but then again we didn't get to most of it. like you're also my expert in horror movies so i we didn't get to talk about that we didn't get to talk about uh all the other lore that you do know and keep keeping your head so uh we will make sure people watch listen to the geeks watch and we get to get get to hear more of that in the future hey i got plenty more where this came from and we'll also make them talk to you on Twitter where they can find you at Magic Bollocks. I am at Magic Bollocks. And um, I'm surprised nobody's ever asked me why I chose that name. I mean, I I kind of put it together. <laughs> <laughs> it, se- it seemed pretty straightforward. You know, when you know me, you make some assumptions that most of the time you wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> That's what I figured. Um, so yeah, like this one can definitely go one of many ways. Probably would be correct with making the obvious assumption. Um, in all honesty, this one just kind of came up with, um, you know, after watching Harry Potter, I wanted to come up with something that was like magic themed, but also sounded like some kind of uh, like Cockney slang. <laughs> and uh, that was the first thing that kind of came up and I looked it up and it wasn't taking and I was like, done. I'm magic bollocks. There you go. Um, so then definitely people should get a hold of you there. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for letting people get to know more about you and you know, what you bring to the geek elite media family. I'm always here to, uh, bring a good time. <laughs> Uh, then, uh, make sure to check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the geek elite media network website, geekelitemedia.com. But until next time, this is Hey Mitch on the geek elite media network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. 